Hey guys, and welcome back to my podcast. It's been a while. Uh, sorry for the delay. There's things have been busy at work and uh, school and everything like that. Um, I'm now teaching again at Lewis, which is good. Uh, getting things moving and that aspect is great. I have three more months left to graduate. I'm super excited. Uh, it's it's closing in. I'm getting that bachelor's degree. I just I can't wait to get it and move on. Um, a lot of things happened at work this week, which is good. I had to deal with the toilet, which was a first for me. I thought that was pretty interesting. But anyways, moving on. Uh, welcome back to my podcast. Uh, we Today we're going to be talking about a different system of the airplane. And this is interesting because I found this slide from the Jackson Square Aviation, which is basically out of Mitsubishi. But we're going to be talking about some engine maintenance management to prevent deterioration of comp- large components, very important components of these engines. And of course, today we're going to be talking about uh, the CFM-56. If you're not familiar with the engine, it is on 737s, uh, some Airbuses, and so on and so forth. So this engine is one of the most popular engines in aviation, if not the most popular engine in aviation. So everyone usually has seen them or hear them. Um, doing the 737 course that I took, I was accustomed to the CFM already. I was already used to the background of the engine. Uh, usually it's it's a shark mouth, so it's got a wide mouth, very low to the ground, um, but a very interesting engine to say the least. I've been around them for now about six months, so I'm slowly getting used to it. But this, this article is very interesting. It's actually a PowerPoint that the uh, Jackson Square Aviation made. Um, very, very interesting from a engineer's perspective, but good for us mechanics so we can determine what's some troubleshooting and issues when the, the airplanes come in with, you know, trouble codes or uh, fault fault locations and just all, all around identifications of bad components. So moving on. So we're, today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to talk about technical drives off of off-wing maintenance going to be talking about commercial considerations of off-wing maintenance, lesser and lessy considerations of off-wing maintenance, and flight hour agreements. So a lot of these are going to be dealing with your GMMs or AMMs per your manuals for your companies. But I know that um, when these aircraft come in pretty hot, when I do my inspections, the first thing I do to look at is the IDG oils and the engine oils. And even just looking inside the cowlings of CF-56, just to be able to see around and check for oil leaks and stuff. This alone, visual inspection is alone the first thing you should determine when you're inspecting an airplane. Before you do all anything else, before you do maintenance, you gotta visually inspect the airplane. And the first one of the first places I go to are the engines. Going back on this, we're gonna be talking about engine maintenance and costs and reserve rates. So when we're talking about this as a managerial perspective, you wanna know when the best time is to start your your engine, your engine work, your engine cleaning, uh, your engine engine refurbs. You're going to have flight cycles and all that. But a modern engine often operates at 25,000 hours between major overhauls, equivalent to about 13,500,000 miles to fly on the moon. So that's pretty impressive right there. All right, so starting off, we're going to talk about technical drivers of off-wing maintenance. So I know that the 747 and the 737 are pretty uh, different airplanes when it comes to maintenance, but Boeing likes to keep things similar in their AMMs. So when, we, when we're looking at these things, make sure you, you take notes and jot down, like I'm actually gonna be doing, in determining which one which one of these four cases 
are going to be most important. But we're going to discuss the four cases, and they're, they're going to be uh, EGT margin deterioration, so anything with exhaust gas temperature. Expiry of life-limited parts, so when you're talking about parts, you got to think about the time and weight of the parts. Uh, being a maintainer, I've dealt with bad stock parts, even new parts that don't work. Um, you're going to run into those situations, and you're just going to have to figure out what to do next. Uh, it's definitely a thing that you have to kind of juggle with. Um, yeah, it sucks, but this is the way of the game of the industry. Uh, you're going to deal with hardware deterioration. That can come from corrosion. That can come from paint. That can come from weather. It can come from bird damage. It can come from anything. Uh, it can come from any hardware on the airplane. Hardware, including uh, any of the bolts, uh, sockets, uh, nuts, fasteners. That includes that. And other removable causes. So the other removable causes can be anything. That can be damages. That can be ground damages and runway incursions. Oh, we're going to start off with uh, temperatures. So when we're talking about EGT, we're talking about exhaust gap temperatures. So as a maintenance guy, when you check your check the engines when they're running, you're going to look at the exhaust gas temperature. You'll see it in the green. A lot of the PFDs and MFDs are going to have um, the little gauges on there as well. So to determine if it's good or not, you got to be kind of careful, though, because sometimes it, you'll have to update the systems and look carefully. But you have to just under, understand the airplane and understand what you're looking at. So, of course, exhaust gas temperature is the measure of the temperature of the gas leaving the turbine unit. So this is just not the exhaust, this is leaving the turbine unit. Engines are certified with temperature limits. So, of course, they have, you're going to have limits. You're going to have limits for every engine. For this engine, it's 850 degrees Celsius. So once it goes above 850 degrees Celsius, we're starting to get to the yellow. And once it gets more above that, we're starting to get to the red line. This can cause deterioration of parts as well. This can damage interior parts. Once it goes over a certain margin, this EGT during takeoff and certified redline, it is it's used to evaluate the engine. So this is kind of like you running on a treadmill. You start off running on the treadmill full speed, ready to go. Your heart's beating really fast. Then over time, you start slowing down, maintaining a certain amount of speed. You want to maintain a certain speed to make sure that your heart is beating at a rhythm. This is just like a jet engine. You don't want to go too little, you want to go too hard, because if you go too hard, you're going to burn yourself out. It's the same thing with a jet. Once you go full takeoff power, you're getting a max peak range of deadline, of the red line basically. So you're going max peak. Once you look lower down, okay, you're getting there. But then once you're going to a margin part, you're starting to normalize. So once you normalize, the engine is going to be stabilized. And then you get the best fuel efficiency for your engine. Now, an EGT margin is a simple math, math equation. So you look at the red line. So you look at the max EGT, and then you subtract it by the normal EGT. And then you get the number. That margin, for instance, on the CFM56 is 100 degrees Celsius. Easy problem. Maintainers, you don't have to really worry about it unless you start getting the percentages. But it's a good thing to have in your notes and just understand. Once it gets to a certain perspective of health and the age of the engine, this can come in big hand. The other thing is you're going to have takeoff power. You're going to have takeoff thrust. The CFM56 is all above 20,000. The newest one at about 27,300. Uh, we're looking at 895 degrees takeoff centigrade. So over, over time, uh, the temperatures are getting a little higher because the engine's getting you know better materials. So that's just another thing you have to look at. You have to look at the margin numbers. You don't really have to know the margin numbers. Some of the MMs might have the art margin numbers, but it's not a huge detail when it comes involved with this. So when, you, when you're looking at margin numbers, you got you don't really have to know about numbers. It's more of engineering. But when maintenance guys, we, when we have to talk to engineers about some things or MCC about some things, mentioning numbers makes them think 
you know, they think twice because a lot of them are experienced AMPs that have already heard this or seen it, blah, 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 whatever. But if you explain to them certain things that they want to hear, they're going to be like, okay, that, that makes sense. It's in the AMM and this number's there, but also you're getting an EGT margin. So once it gets, gets above a certain level, I think it's a very important thing. So as the engine deteriorates though, it will rise until the, re the red line. Once it gets towards the red line, it goes a higher above it, it's gonna start deteriorating the engine way faster. So for instance, if it's 850 degrees Celsius and you're running it at about 850 degrees Celsius over time, it won't damage it, but it'll deteriorate quicker. If you go above 850, even just a little bit into the yellow, you're gonna be damaging it to the point where it could have major, major catastrophe over time. Basic knowledge of jet engines, you know that any type of engine, you're going to be creating more and more issues. So the big thing with EGT margin deterioration, though, is hardware distress. Like I discussed, when things get hot, they start getting brittle, and they start melting, or they start getting damaged. So when you start having increasing gas path flow losses, increasing EGT deterioration, what else does that increase? That increases fuel burn. But what does that also increase? That increases fouling, that increases clearances, that increases seal leakage. What doesn't have mentioned on here is increases nose, nose spinner, uh, damage as well it could cause stress on that airfoil erosion it can cause many things this cycle that you have right here once it starts getting hotter and hotter it's gonna start damaging especially on these cfm 56s these engines take a lot of power looking at the rate of egtm deterioration as influence you got to look at flight operations you got to look at engine thrust rating decreases you got to look at the how much are the pilots putting in the thrust? Are they putting it more and more? Are they putting it less and less? You gotta just kind of think about that. The durate decreases. So when they're, they're, the autopilot throwing the engine down smoother, is it throwing down hotter? You gotta just put that in perspective. The flight legs, see how long the flight legs are. I know our airplanes for the three sevens fly from Riverside, they fly from Ohio, they fly from Texas, they fly from New York, they fly from Miami. They fly all over the country, but they're all different leg lengths. So you gotta put that in perspective as well. And of course, you gotta think of environments. The 737, the CF-56 is an air, an air hugger. It needs as much air as possible. There's a reason why it's the shark mouth, other than the fact for low clearance, but also the fact that it's gonna suck in more air. You gotta think about that as realistic as possible. And all the operating environments, you got bird strikes, you got volcanic ash. That is always something that always interests people. Sand, fod, all that. Last but not least, the engine age maturity. You got to think about how old the engine is. A newer engine, yeah, it's going to take a minute. But there are situations where the engine's not installed correctly and there's oil leaks and all that that can really speed up the engine deterioration process. Looking at the next one, we're looking at expiry of life-limited parts. So parts are a big deal, of course. The airplane is built of many parts. The engine is built of millions of parts. Parts of the modules that break are going to cause issues. Discs, seals, spools, shafts, uh, composites. They're going to have lines, especially lines. Lines are a big one, but shafts and seals and spools are very important as well. These have to be discarded once their useful lives are reached. If they're kept on for a certain amount of time, you're increasing the likelihood of this engine malfunctioning. LLPs account for a high proportion of MX costs, so they cost for a lot of maintenance on short-haul missions due to lower average flight legs. So yeah, they're going to cost a lot more. That makes sense because you're not going to be you're going to be using it a lot more, and they're in their shorter flights. So you're going to be taking off. You're going to be there's a lot more going to be landing cycles. Of course, they're, they're going to be low proportion for long hauls, but you got to put in perspective when it comes to ETOPS and flying over the ocean, a lot of these parts are dealing with more operation environments, like we said earlier with EGTs. Moving on, 
The other issues with this are all engine components are exposed to different kinds of deterioration mechanisms. These include, more than likely, low and high cycle fatigue. That's a big one. Uh, when you're thinking of the engines taking off and, tur- and turning on different types of temperatures and uh, climates, it's going to put a little bit more strain on it. Thermomechanical fatigue is a huge one. Of course, the engines are getting very hot, but they're, they're air-cooled, and there's a lot more air coming through them, and they're sucking in a lot of air, so they have to deal with cooling. When you have to deal with high-bypass cooling, you have to make sure that it's getting the amount of cooling it needs. As stated before with flying over oceans, corrosion, erosion, and oxidation are huge other big deterioration factors. Other removable causes include, amongst others, FOD, of course, oil leaks, uh, high oil consumption, that's another thing too. Vibration, airplanes always deal with vibration. If you want to see an airplane with vibration without flying, watch on a windy day uh, and you'll see the airplane move. Uh, We've had issues where we'll be working on an airplane and the wing will just be kicking us in the head, kicking us in the back. And it's a pain in the ass. You know, when you're when you're working on airplanes in shitty weather conditions, it really puts perspective what AMPs have to do. Airworthiness directives, that's another big one. Um, not every airplane is going to have it, but most of them today. CFM 56 does have them, so be, an eye, be on the lookout for that. Looking at graphs, I, as a maintainer, you're not going to have to know about graphs. It's just as more of an engineering thing. This whole, like going again before when I started this, this is an engineering thing, but it's good for us maintenance techs and aviation enthusiasts to understand what it's, what's most important about looking at the CFM 56s and other jet engines' life cycles. Because you might be working on it one day and understand that there might be issues, especially when I'm looking at flight cycles. So, of course, when you get the engine, you get the phase one, so about zero to eight years. So when you start the engine until about eight years in, it starts growing. You know, you're going to start breaking in the seals. You're going to start getting the engine moving. You're going to start getting everything going. It's kind of like a car engine. You know, when you get a new car, once you're about 60,000 miles in, a lot more driving, the car starts to get stabilized. It's good. The thing you got to be careful with is, of course, the cycles. You know, you're going to have, it's called an economic life cycle, which means you're going to have one month to about 20 years of cycle. Once you get to about phase two, of course, stabilized. Once you get to dispersion, though, it starts to have issues. We start to look for different engines that to go in more detail, engine stabilization and growth, engine gaining acceptance, okay. Engine sales are at a consistent steady level. Engine sales drop to a low level and are being sold for spare parts or scrap. At that point, you're going to want to basically just scrap out the parts of the engine to use on other engines. Looking forward, okay. You know, it's it's interesting to see the a lot of the money things. Um, especially when it comes to off-wing maintenance. So when these engines are off the airplanes, you gotta put perspective how much this shop's gonna cost. A full overhaul with a fan, a core, and LPT together, you're looking at about 2.5 million for an overhaul. So the overhaul, the restoration costs and the LLP cost together, looking at about five mil together. So about $83 for an hour, just to, and this is, this is at, your MRO. So when the when the air the whole thing is being worked on, it's about eighty three an hour. But that's also with five million dollars of shop cost preemptive at that. Of course, core restoration when you're doing re uh, it's going to be cheaper. If you're messing with the combustion core and all the combustion shaft in there. They're going to be dealing with two point zero million dollars and one point five million dollars. So when it comes to that, it's going to be a little bit more money for the hourly, but total shop cost is still going to be 1.5 million less at about 3.5 mil. We go over lesser and lease. 
I, I'm just going to say the definition. Not everyone needs to know about it. Maintenance guys don't really need to know about it. Engines installed on leased aircraft in times have more constraints and will depend on delivery, term of lease, and redelivery conditions. Big thing for management, for engineers, anyone working in the shop office, big thing. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about is the maintenance costs and reserve rates. And this is interesting to me because you got to think of time. Now, we're going to start off with all the engines that are different. So we're going to start off with the G90. One of my other favorite engines, massive engine, on triple sevens, on A330s, big engine. Now, the first run, at about 115,000 pounds of thrust, the leg is at 8.0. So time on the wing is about 2,500 to 3,000 flight, flight cycles. Pretty good. In 2015 alone, that cost 6.5 to 7.5 million dollars for total. And about rate, about 280 to $300 an hour. Bigger engine, more maintenance costs. Now we're going to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to look at the CFM 56 B63 model. The first run at 23,500 pounds of thrust, using a little bit. Flight legs at about 1.7. Time on the wing, 16,700. The cost for it, 2.25 mil for total. And then the rate only at $80. So when you're looking at very, very well put together parts on flight cycle airplanes, it's going to cost cheaper. And this is why the 737 is a fantastic airplane. One of the reasons why it's a fantastic airplane. And then, of course, when you're looking at maturity rates, where the engine's starting to get older, you're looking at about 14,000 flight cycles at 125 to 145. Still the cheapest out of all of them. And that's what blows my mind, is when you're looking at an engine like this and you see all the numbers on here, you got to put in perspective that all these engines are running at different flight cycles. But when you have a, a G90 on here, for instance, so we're at 18, 1,800 to 2,200 flight cycles, it costs about $560. We're looking at a smaller engine, of course, with about 23,500. You could fly, fly for a lot longer, and it costs at about $3 million total, and then a rate of 145 an hour. I understand the G90 is a bigger engine than the, the CFM56, but when you're looking at long-term costs, especially at, uh, an, air, an airplane that does not fly overseas, this is fantastic. So when you're looking at something like this, you got to understand that money is a big thing when it comes to managerial and maintenance stuff. So next time, maintenance guys, just look at the airplane and un- try to figure out the flight cycle of the airplane. You're probably not going to know how many flight cycles are on the engine, but you're going to understand that once you start thinking about it, this, these engines are going to last for hopefully about 27000 to about 30,000 pounds of thrust that are going to go about 14,000 flight cycles. Let's put that in perspective. An old engine that's about to retire is about at 14,000 flight cycles. The newer engine for G90 starts to retire at 2,200 flight cycles. That's pretty impressive. The last thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the CFM56 in general. I've been around, I'm not going to go with too depth what the engine is. Everyone knows it's on a 737, some Airbuses, but it's a shark mouth. When you have shark mouth engines like this, they're low to the ground. Once it deals with that, you have to, it's the high bypass turbofan engine made by CFM. So it's made by a French company and it's made by GE. And the thrust range is about 18,500 from the basic model up to 34,000 from the newer model. Interesting, right? How much do they cost? 
CFM56 over 12 years is about $1,852 per engine per day. So $1,852 per engine per day for 12 years. And the flat rate for one engine of a CFM56 gets a total of about $333 million total today. Average cost of an engine, it depends. But we're not really looking for that. We're working about the engineering and the maintenance at the end. All in all, not really all NFL to talk about. I'm not a big numbers guy, like I said earlier, but I, I think it'd be interesting for everyone to understand what goes into engine maintenance, especially on the CFM56. I know it's been a while since I posted the last podcast episode. Of course, it's been hard working out and uh, going to school and trying to spend a little bit more time, but I'm glad I, I got this episode in. Uh, I hope you guys get a chance to listen to it, even if it's not tonight or tomorrow. Um, I think it's very interesting, especially especially for maintenance and engineers, but for teachers as well and students as well. Hopefully you guys have a good night and uh, stay safe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. There's a lot to go on with this. You can make money from your podcast, no minimum listenership, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Remember, your podcast journey starts here.